Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, January 28th, 2024. We've got another great show for you this week. We've got David Levine, Kevin Walsh, the Legal Eagles of Groom Law Group here. And then we'll be taking a look at markets with Oliver Rennick at the Schwab Network. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. We're going to kick off the week, as we always do, with a look at what is happening on Capitol Hill. And there's a lot going on these days here to break it all down. They're the legal eagles, David Levine, Kevin Walsh. Both are principals with Groom Law Group. That's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, eagles, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Jeff, it is great to be here. We're happy to give you notice that we're here, and that's going to take us into our theme this week. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad to have you here on uh, Championship Weekend uh, in the NFL. Uh, we're not going to get to picks, but Kevin, I want to come to you uh, because I believe that there is a uh, initiative by the Department of Labor to revise disclosures. You want to give us a little bit of meat on that one, then we can get David to weigh in. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, Jeff, but I'm surprised you're not doing a segment about the uh, the Baltimore Ravens being in the NFC Championship game. I, if, if I recall, <laughs> you're a Ravens fan, aren't you? I have born and raised in Baltimore. I don't like to uh, always, you know, I don't want to promote one, organiz- one organization, one team over another. But I will drip out, since you brought it up, that we will have Obafemi Ayambadeju, who was a Super Bowl uh, 35 winner on the program tomorrow morning and on Monday. So uh, that is something to look forward to. But yes, I am a Ravens fan. Sorry. You know, Jeff, I thought you were going to have a whole segment on the Ravens this week. Yeah. Well, you know, I did I mean, reach out. I did reach out to the Ravens, but um, they're a little busy with prep work. <laughs> and, and David's such a uh, such an NFL fan that he's just really hoping that both teams have a good time. Absolutely. I'm, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping they both score a goal. Is that what you're trying to yeah. say, Kevin, to make fun of me? <laughs> I think so. I think so. But so. So pivoting back to this week's topic of, of disclosure, sure. you know, it's a topic that's gotten a lot of attention in basically about 50 years since ERISA was enacted. Um, because you know, basically you've got a, a, the plan sponsor, which is running the plan. You've got a number of service providers who are providing services. And participants are either just kept informed that they have benefits or kept informed of eligibility. Um, or, you know, in a, in a defined contribution plan, they're informed of account balances, decisions that they can make, um, and the features of the plan. And, you know, as time has progressed, uh, disclosure requirements have gradually grown. So participants find that you're, you're sending more disclosures each year. The disclosures are gradually getting longer uh, as new things are decided that they ought to be disclosed. Um, as part of the Secure 2.0 reform package, Congress asked the Labor Department if they would, you know, take a fresh look at the disclosure requirements under ERISA and figure out if, if information can be disclosed in a better way, in a more streamlined way, and if the methods for disclosure, you know, paper or electronic, remain appropriate as we, you know, enter or near ERISA's second half century. Um, and while Secure 2.0 was enacted more than a year ago, uh, the Department of Labor in the last week uh, issued a request for information that contains, you know, about two dozen questions uh, asking interested parties to comment on, you know, how effective are disclosures today, um, and then about various aspects of how they might be reformed, so that they're easier to use for participants, and that you know that the burden on plan sponsors and service providers who put those disclosures together um, are justified in light of you know how much participants read them. I mean, the, the weird thing with this is if we look at the Supreme Court a number of years ago, there was a case involving 
you know, ERISA disclosures. And I, at, at oral arguments, I think one of the justices even commented that that he doesn't read the disclosures that he gets from his plan. Um, <laughs> and so some of this comes down to how do we make it a system work where we need participant involvement, we need participant input, uh, we need their buy-in, uh, and we really want them to be informed, but we also don't want to overburden them by not having them, by sending them things they're not going to read. And David, I want to pivot to you, and I think it's kind of funny that the Supreme sure. Court that Supreme Court justice doesn't read his or her, I don't know which one it was, but doesn't read his or her disclosures, but they, they are cumbersome. I mean, there's the QDIA notice, there's the summary annual report, there's uh, the Department of Labor fee disclosure. I, I, there's voluminous amounts of disclosures. There is, and it's it's interesting, you know. I admit because I am a benefits geek, I read all these things, and <laughs> and it's and 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 it's amazing what you pick up when you read them. And of course, you know, our the, the folks sometimes on the plaintiffs bar definitely read these things. Um, but as a real takeaway here, one thing to think about is cost. There is, there is, there is both. Let's go through a couple of factors. Actually, number one, there is actual being able to understand it. Everything is supposed to be read and understood by like a an average like human being, average adult. But at the same time, these disclosures, there's so much technicality in them that the balance is hard to achieve. And I think everybody does their best. And I think they do a pretty good job given the circumstances. So number one, this is a great chance for all the agencies to say, is there a way to explain this better? in English, especially given modern tools. Number two, there is a cost item. Sending all this paper costs money. And whether or not it is paid for by plan sponsors or paid for by being bundled into fees that you pay your service providers, there is a cost to this. And that cost, one way or another, is passed through, whether in employers adjusting their contributions because the cost because they they factor this in as a out-of-pocket cost they pay, or whether in record-keeping, TPA, or other services here. So in an era where we're always trying to make these plans more efficient, but also more affordable and maximize the the performance net of fees, this, this is a great discussion point. Where does it go? Let's pivot to that for a second. That's a really good question. Because remembering, we have the IRS and the DOL both involved with this. And in fact, in some things like managed accounts, you can have other disclosures as well. And given those types of disclosures that, that go out to people, it's how do you get everybody to simplify? And I think it does come back to Congress where Congress basically maybe comes up with a solution. We've become more and more accepting. And I admit, I'm a paper delivery guy, but what if we had a situation where I'll call it the core, easy to read information was given out. It was available online. And of course, people could call up and say, I'd like paper copies. I don't think anybody's trying to say you can never get paper. But I think those types of things where you actually had something that was easy to follow in one package and not having to mail it six times a year, which half the time goes into the trash, if not a lot more for people, that might be a real positive here. Yeah, I, guys, I mean, I I think uh, I just give you my own perspective and then we can kind of close the segment out i think that there's there's work to be done uh it doesn't mean that what we have is bad but there is certainly work to be done we got to continue to speak the language of the participant especially if you're giving them disclosures and by the way 
I think the participants have to be further engaged. Look, you've got a the employer has a responsibility, the regulators have a responsibility, but you also have a personal level responsibility to make sure that you at least understand a little bit. Doesn't mean you need to be an expert. Guys, we're going to have to leave it there. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Go uh, Ravens, go Chiefs, whatever you are, whoever you are reading for, and we look forward to having you back next week. Thanks for having us on, Justin. Thank you, listeners. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, everybody. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. Now time to uh, talk markets. Joining us on the line, he is the lead anchor for the Schwab Network, Oliver Rennick. Oliver, thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. And how was your week, Oliver? It was good. Uh, tiny bit slow. We're kind of kicking off the earnings season. Did get some good economic data, but uh, it was sort of a churn, kind of a grind for the market. Uh, we did generally get strength in the stock still, but pace slowed down a little bit. Uh, bond and the dollar kind of chopped around. Bitcoin kind of chopped around. Uh, so it, waiting for next week, things will get more exciting. All right, so let's before we get to next week, and I, I, it's a great tee up. Uh, let's talk about some of the economic numbers. Let's start with GDP. Pretty good GDP number of what three point three percent for the quarter. Uh, reaction to that? Another nice surprise after the third quarter number that uh, started out at five and ended up in the high fours seems to be carrying over. seems like that was not as big of a fluke as many thought it would be. And this all generally fits the thesis that uh, I developed last year for a trampoline landing Ooh. instead of a hard or soft landing, the idea that we would have a patch of weakness and bounce back. And it seems like we're still bouncing back. We also saw manufacturing PMIs cross above 50. And that was a pretty huge development this month because that number has been very soft 
and reliably weak now for better part of the last 18 months. So to see that back in expansion territory, combined with the GDP print, uh, combined with our last retail sales print, and combined also with new home sales that are cranking and sentiment that is elevated, there continues to be just a great deal of resilient strength in the economy. And it's really important to realize that because if you look at unemployment off of the lows, or if you look at jobless claims off of the lows or job openings off the highs, you know, we have had some deterioration from those record levels, but the nominal levels and the absolute levels that we are at for almost all of our economic data are very impressive. Yeah, and just to kind of build on that, um, the all-time highs you referenced it for the you know for the major stock market indices. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And I like did you did you actually copyright or coin the uh, trampoline landing? Did you get that with the registered with the uh, U.S. Patent Service? I did not, but I should have because it's been used a few times. Yeah, you know. Um, Oliver, uh, the other thing I want to ask you about, you know, then we talked, uh, so we got the good GDP number, good uh, manufacturing, PCE number going down, right? So it said, I think it went yeah, down by, yeah. that. that's pretty impressive. So where does the Fed stand, or where does the market believe the Fed stands with rate cuts? Will that happen this quarter? Uh, will it happen in sometime in 2024? Any, any thoughts on that? The market has more aggressive expectations than the Fed based on their commentary and based on dots from the last time we heard about their outlook. But as far as the general conversation, it's one of when do these rate cuts come and not so much if. The market believes there's still a 50% chance, about 45, that the cut in March is going to happen. I would say that's not consistent with what we've heard from the Fed, that they are more focused on being done hiking rather than cutting. So there is some tension there as we get closer to March, and our data surprises the upside. That odd of a March cut, that probability has dropped. But the market doesn't really care so much. It's more kind of on the peripheral the core of the stock market is being driven by better-than-expected economic growth, huge technological developments in artificial intelligence and chips, semiconductors. Um, and that's basically the two core themes. The Fed is an important one in terms of the general pivot that's expected next year. But whether it's three cuts, two, four five or six, that's really going to matter the most for the kind of broader, frothier edges of the market, which you know could be a limiting factor if the market expects five or six cuts and we only get you know two or three. That will make a difference, but it probably should be thought of as limiting the upside momentum to the market rather than creating downside. The downside risk is that next week earnings for these companies in the large technology cap group are too high of expectations and they'll disappoint. That's basically your, your risk. Now, 
I don't particularly think that's a, a very imminent scary risk. Um, it seems like there are a lot of real developments, products, and um, embrace of AI technology happening across hardware and to a lesser degree software. So I don't really think that's like a big, big concern, but that would be the more likely cause for a market sell-off than uh, the Fed decision for March because those odds of a March cut have already dropped from almost 80% to 45 and it hasn't limited the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. What it will limit is the potential for unprofitable companies, high-risk assets, speculative instruments, uh, debt-ridden companies, zombie companies. That's who the rate cuts matter for. But those companies are not driving the indexes. Oliver, you, you hinted at the beginning um, that this was kind of a slow turn week. Next week, those earnings you talk about, what else can we expect? Is that is that when we potentially could see a rollback in these all-time highs? Again, I don't want to get you put you in a position where you're making prognostications, but just yeah, give no, us just just give I us the what ifs. Yeah, what's what's, what's coming up next week besides yeah. along with the earnings? Yeah, that's I mean that's definitely the highlight. We saw late this week that. Intel and Western Digital and some of the others that have been doing really well slipped a bit. We saw Tesla get hammered on its earnings this week. But it's all very stock-specific. It's fairly easy to figure out. If you're growing your margins right now, the market generally likes you. If you have screaming hot growth and you're not just shredding money lighting it on fire then the market likes you if you're a generally stable company without a lot of downside risk then you can kind of come along for the ride where there is risk in markets is companies where margins are contracting uh their growth is disappointing without profits so that's kind of where tesla comes in the growth is slowing and the margins getting crunched that's why i got killed uh, some of that stuff is going to be, you know, um, in the most of it's going to be in the areas you expect. So for the big giants next week, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft, um, the expectations are high for sure, but higher for some than others. Like Amazon's still well off its highs. Uh, Apple and Microsoft um, are going to have a little bit of a tougher challenge. Microsoft, I think, will have the hardest challenge next week. They really need to show a really impressive guidance. Apple has been lagging because we began the year with a bunch of negative notes. So um, if Apple can reassure stock, it can probably be okay. But, yeah, that's generally you know, the one thing that would surprise investors the most is if these numbers uh, created selling in the market. Um, the Fed will be important next week. But it probably would require a really dramatic move in bonds to, to shake the market, which I do think is possible. But uh, you probably have to see those odds of a March cut drop to like, you know, sub 10 percent. If we're still at like 40, 30 percent odds next week of a March cut, then it's probably not going to change too much. But if you see that drop, you know, into 10, 20 percent, basically saying the market's wrong pushing back a cut, that, that probably will show up in small caps. That probably will show up in uh, unprofitable businesses, risk assets, et cetera. Yeah. Well, let's, 
Well, it's certainly going to be interesting. I mean, uh, here we are. Uh, we have just seen a tremendous amount of growth in the market and, uh, you know, since uh, fourth quarter. It carries into all of January. It's absolutely amazing. Oliver, we're going to have to leave it there. He of the – I'm going to call it the trampoline effect, the trampoline landing. Oliver, and great to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your Thanks, weekend. Man. Have a great week. Next week, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Cool. Bye-bye. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRN AM. We'll have a very special guest, an important topic. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.